suggest that you get a Bible out um, electronically. There are uh, bulletins printed at the back um, as well. Um, but let me pray as we come to this word. Lord, we thank you so much for your word that speaks um, power and life um, to us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts to listen and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you have extraordinary times, memories of extraordinary times of worship, where you came together in corporate worship and you experienced something, some renewal or something extra. Uh, for me, there are many, uh, but one was fairly recent. One was last year, April 24th, 2022. And I, I wonder if anybody can pick up what, why that date is special. April 24th, 2022. Well, it was the first Sunday that we were able to come back physically to meet together and worship together physically here in the hall after many months of not being able to do so. And I don't actually remember what I preached and, 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 and what happened, but I do remember that Ariel led us in singing the goodness of God. Uh, you remember the, those words, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. And with every breath that I'm able Oh, I'll sing of the goodness of God. As I was singing that song, I, I, I realized how much I missed singing with you all, how much I missed worshiping with you all. And even before any thought entered my mind, my body reacted to singing. I actually choked up. I cried a bit. Just my soul was rejoicing. I was rejoicing to worship together with you all. Yes, God has been good, even through the pandemic, even through all the ups and downs, God has been good. Corporate worship is powerful. It is also important. It is something that we are commanded to do. And this psalm is an invitation to worship. Come, let us bow down 
in worship. Let us kneel before our Maker. Psalm 95 is an invitation, and it teaches us what it means to worship, why we should bow down, why we should worship at God, and what it also means that we really submit to God, that we obey Him and we listen to Him. So Psalm 95 is an invitation to worship, and it teaches a lot about what corporate worship is about. For example, I mean, the first thing that you notice is that we are to do it together. Come, let us Right? Let us sing together. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him. Of course, we are to worship everywhere, in every place, with all of our life. Your work should be worship. How you do family should be worship. Everything should be worship. As Paul tells us in Romans 12, we are supposed to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, as a spiritual act of worship. We are to work to glorify God. We are to cook and we are to raise our families for God's glory. But when we come together on Sundays, we can't cook together. We can't raise our kids to well, we can. Um, but what we can do is that we can sing together. I think that's why, one of the reasons why singing is an indispensable part of corporate worship. It's something that we do together, don't we? When we sing, we are doing, we're, vo- we're, we're joining our voices together, and we're doing in unison, we're worshiping God together. That's a uniquely joint venture. And we invite others to come and sing with us. It's a corporate thing here. And corporately, we are to go, we are going in front of God. Verse 2, let us come before Him with thanksgiving. God is everywhere, of course. But in corporate worship, we come before Him. We focus on Him. We sing to Him. We pray to Him. We have Him in front of us. And if you have forgotten, what a privilege this is. Can you walk to the CE's residence right now? You can't. If you go to the White House, can you walk in? You can't. But with us, we can go in front of God and worship in front of Him. This almighty God is before us and accepts our worship. What a privilege that is. He is with us. And the psalmist teaches us that we also should worship with joy, with great joy. Let us sing for joy. Let us extol him. That, that word actually in Hebrew is the same word. Shout aloud with joy. Uh, last week, I was in Thailand. Um, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a little tanned. <laughs> um, but Thailand is a beautiful country filled with different temples, Buddhist temples. But you don't go to a Buddhist temple to joyfully sing, do you? When you enter in, it's a solemn place, it's a quiet place, it's a place where you go to contemplate what's in your heart and try to empty your desires and whatnot. You try to examine your heart so that you can do the serious work of uh, continuing your salvation. Christian worship is different. It's actually the basis for Christian worship is not what we have to do, but what God has done for us. God's goodness revealed in the creation, God's act of salvation around the world, how He has saved us. And when we think of these things, when we are confronted with what God has done and who God is, we respond joyfully in worship, in singing praises to Him. And if I may borrow C.S. Lewis's words here, or paraphrase it a bit, you know, when you, eat a, when you take a good bite of a, just a really great cake, what do you say? You say, 
if you uh, hear uh, a great symphony, what do you want to do? Well, you want to clap together. When you see this breathtaking sunset, um, you say, wow, that is worship. Joyful response is what we do when we encounter God, His goodness. When we think of what He has done to save us, we sing of His praise. Of course, there are serious parts and solemn parts of our worship too, but that's not the basis of our worship. We come because God has done this great thing for us in creating this world, in saving us and making us His own. Christian worship should be filled with joy, joyful singing, loud noises of praises to God. It should be a rightful response to what God has done for us. But you might also be thinking, well, I didn't really want to come here today. (laughs) My heart is not filled with joy. I don't see God's goodness much today. So I should quickly add that corporate worship is also a discipline. It's something that we ought to do. We're called to do it even when we don't feel like it. I mean, once again, the psalmist is saying to everyone who feel like it or not, Come, let us worship. Why? Because our feelings are an unreliable guide, right? And we need to talk about, we need to think about what is true. And it is true that God is good. It is true that the world that God has made is good. What is true is that God has revealed his goodness in the world and most importantly, through our salvation. How the extent to which he has gone to come and bring us to himself, and we need to focus on that truth so that our heart will respond to the truth and not how we feel today. Friends, I wonder if you value corporate worship, whether it's something that you prioritize, that because God commands us to, to, to set aside a day, to rest, and to remember what, is, what he has done. Is that something that you prioritize Is that something that you put on your calendar and say, this is something that I will do because I need to listen to him and I need to remember who he is and what he has done for us. So the psalmist, verse 1 and 2, calls us to to come and worship. But then in verses 3 to 7, it gives us reason to worship. He gives us reason to bow down to him. Why do we worship? Verse 3. Because he's the king of all kings. He has, he's king above all gods. Uh, he has made everything. The earth, mountains, the sea, and the land are all created by him. And, and they are in his hands. Um, they belong to him. And that is reason enough to worship him, isn't it? He is a great God. That's what he's saying. As you look around the world, we should realize that God is this great God that deserves our worship. If we saw him as who he is, we would worship him. But I think often we lose our perspective. We take our eyes off of him and we look at our problems and I think our problems seem so big. And even earth, as you look at the earth, earth seems vast right? Your eyes, the, the end of where your eyes can see, that's not the end of it. Yeah, end of, end, that's not the end of the earth. The earth is vastly big, we feel. 
But in 1990, Earthlings got a different perspective. Space Voyager 1, which, is, which was launched in 1977, beamed a picture from 3.7 billion miles away from the Earth. It's one of the last pictures that was beamed through Voyager 1. And from there, Earth looks like that little dot, that insignificant dot. Astronomer Carl Sagan, looking at this dot, he called it pale blue dot. All of the Earth's problems, all of people,、um, all, all of us are contained in that dot. God is immense. He is a great, big God who's created everything, who knows everything that is going on on Earth, who knows everything that is going on in His universe. He is a big God, and that alone. Who he is deserves a wow, doesn't it? That deserves a response of praise and worship from us. But there's more. If you look down to verses six and seven, he moves from sort of general reasons to worship God to more specific reasons. This awesome God didn't just make the world, but he made us. He is our maker, and he is our God. He is our God. In verse one, he called God the rock of our salvation. I think that's what he means when he says he is our God, that he is the one who has saved us and made us his own. And I say that partly because, as we'll see、um, soon, this Psalm 95, the background is the, the Exodus, how God has brought his people out of Egypt. He didn't hide himself. I mean, he's not a God that's shrouded in mystic、uh, uncertainties. God spoke in the burning bush. God brought his people out, out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea. He spoke through the prophets、um, and, and, and the kings and through history. And in the fullness of time, God became a human being in Jesus Christ and brought us to himself. He died and rose, again,、uh, rose, us, rose again for us so that all the people all around the world could just simply trust him, to know him and put their faith in him and become his. He is our God, and we're the sheep of, we're his flock, we're the flock under his care. If the God who has done this has become A person in Jesus died and rose again for you, that he knows who you are. Shouldn't we worship him? Shouldn't we do- bow down before him for the God, to the God who has done this great thing? Actually, in verse 6, the word bow is actually repeated three times because the word that NIV translates as worship is actually another word for. Bowing down or prostrate. So, I mean, you can read it go, let us bow down, let us prostrate, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Three times it tells us to bow down before God. Why? Once again, because if we properly saw God as who He is, that's what we would do. We would fall before Him, we would submit to His authorities, we would worship Him. You see, despite what we think about our great abilities to control the future, control our life, to do great things, 
our relationship to God is decidedly asymmetrical. It's not a relationship of equals. It's a relationship between God the creator and, and us the creature, creation. Theologian Cornelius, Cornelius Van Til reports seeing a little girl seated on her, her dad's lap. She was bouncing up and down. The, the, the dad was bouncing her up and down. And at one point, the girl slapped his, his face a few times um, uh, 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 for fun. He writes, If the daddy had not held her, held her, on, her la- on his lap, she would not have been able to slap him. If the dad didn't hold her in his lap, the girl couldn't slap him. You know, we think that we should be masters of our own fate, captain of our own souls, but our situation is more in needy, more in need uh, than the girl on the dad's lap. We have been created by God. We've been sustained by God. We have been given wills to make decisions by God. Even the ability to reject Him, to despise Him, comes from Him, from His goodness. Um, If we see Him rightly, then we would submit to Him. When I don't understand something, I should assume that God is in the right, and I am mistaken. His judgment should be trusted over mine, because, or else, he's not God. If God is who he is, we would worship, we would submit to his authority. Friends, once again, I wonder what kind of attitude, uh, with what kind of attitude you came today. Um, to church, often our worship is still self-centered, isn't it? People go to temples in Thailand, mosques, um, churches um, even. People have these little idols at their homes um, so that they could get what they want, often more money, health, security, better education for children, or whatever it is. You know, they pretend to serve these gods But really, they want God to serve them. Proper Christian worship leads to kneeling, needs to bowing, needs to submitting to God, God who is greater than us, God who is infinitely better than us, in goodness, in justice, in beauty, in everything else. It leads to submission. Because as we come before God, as we realize who He is, we prostrate before Him. So I think it is a good thing that in some Christian traditions, they retain the practice of kneeling. But ultimately, the psalmist gives um, what real, true submission looks like. It's not much to do with our body posture. It's, uh, about, it has to do with the attitude of our hearts. See verse 7b, today. If you, would only hear his, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in uh, Masa in, your, in the wilderness. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. This is what submission looks like. As we hear God's word, we obey him. We listen to him. We do what he says. And this whole section brings us to the Exodus, 
to Exodus. And there was that reference to the hardening of hearts. You know, Pharaoh uh, famously hardened his heart and did not listen to Yahweh God. But it's not just Pharaoh that didn't listen to Yahweh. Uh, Israelites didn't listen to their God. They hardened their hearts as well. What does it mean to harden their hearts? Well, it means not listening to him, protesting, quarreling, and doubting his goodness, testing him. Meribah means quarreling, as you see in that uh, footnote in your Bibles. And, And Masa means testing. They didn't submit to God's will. They quarreled. They protested against him. They did not trust him. And they said, if you're real God, do something about this. You can read of the events in Exodus chapter 17. Let me bring us back there. They just had crossed the Red Sea. They saw the parting of the Red Sea, and they were delivered out of Egypt. But after they, were, they went to the desert, they faced their first trial, which is that they ran out of water to drink. So what do they do? They accuse Moses of bringing them out only to die. They say, it would have been better if we had stayed in Egypt. Remember, they just experienced God's salvation. But at the first hint of trouble, they rebel against God. They quarrel against God. They doubt his goodness. They test his patience. They want to go back. Remember, this was after 430 years of slavery. They were fair-weather followers of Yahweh God. Actually, they do it again in Numbers 20. At towards the end of their uh, 40-year wandering in the desert. And later on in the New Testament, uh, the writer of Hebrews uses Psalm 95. In fact, uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, it really is a commentary, uh, a sermon based on Psalm 95. And the writer then places the new, his New Testament hearers in the place of the Israelites. Uh, they were brought to the church given good news of the gospel, but these early believers were facing persecution. They were uh, facing problems. They weren't in the promised land yet. Persecutions and hardship, because of them, some people started to complain. Some people started falling away from their faith. So the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 to his readers saying, friends, your salvation is even greater than that of the the Israelites. So keep going. Today, if God is speaking to you, hear his voice and continue to obey, continue to follow him. Keep obeying. Don't be a fair-weather Christian. God opened up the Red Sea for you. God pried open the the, the door of, of death for you. Keep going. Continue to listen and obey. It is a humbling thing to think about how many people that I've baptized in Shatin Church uh, who are not here today, people who are in Hong Kong still, people who have fallen away, people who no longer worship, not just here, but anywhere. I'm sure you know people like that, people who have fallen away from faith. It's humbling to think how many people come to church here not to hear from him, not to worship him and submit to him, to ask God, God, speak to me so that I might submit to your will. But to think how many people come to church still to ask God for the things that they want, to use God, to, God, to have God serve 
them. Church, is that something that you do? What are the areas in your life that you need to submit to? To, to say to God, God, you have spoken. I am going to listen. Maybe it's in the area of serving, as we have heard. You know, to, to not live a life that's self-centered, but other people-centered, a Christ-centered, God-centered life. Maybe it's in the area of money, tithings and offerings, to be generous. To uh, I say that especially in Hong Kong, where money is the king. We need to fight against it by giving it away, to being generous to the people around us. Maybe it's in the area of relationship. Uh, maybe people you need to forgive that you refuse to forgive. Uh, maybe it's in dating, a person that you shouldn't be dating. In what areas do you need to submit and obey? But as we come to a text like this, inevitably people ask, well, what if those people who have made the profession of faith long time ago, are they still saved? Are they, will they still make it to the promised land? I'm more of a reformed mindset in this and believe that it's really those who persevere to the very end who are also called. If God calls them, God will help them to persevere. But uh, such theorizing is actually not that useful. What matters is this. Today, today, if God is speaking to you, Today, if God is calling you to repentance, if today God is calling you to himself for the first time in your life, don't harden your heart. Listen and obey. How do we persevere? Well, we continue worshiping with others. We sing together, we pray together, we listen together. And I think this also means we speak God's truth to one another into people's lives. And if you're new, and if this you want to make Shatin Church your home, could I ask you to invest in, in small groups, not just for a few weeks or a few months, two, three years, because it takes that much time to develop that sort of relationship where you can speak God's truth into another person's life in a sensitive way, in a way that you would listen, to develop that sort of relationship. We need brothers and sisters who will tell us, is that the right thing to do? Are you still keeping going? Are you still obeying God in this area of your life? Are you still listening? Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before our Maker. I'm so thankful that we have the freedom to meet on Sundays like this. I was moved back in April last year. And I'm thankful today. At times when we meet together like this, God will meet and move us. But more important than that, more important than that, when God shows up, when God speaks to us, friends, will you listen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are God who is speaking God, who has created the universe with words, who has created the church with your words of salvation. You have called each one of us with your word, and we pray now that we would listen, we would submit, we would obey. Help us to worship you with all of our life. 
And Lord, we pray that we would, you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to live that life out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.